it is the most classic haunted house. It's all dark wood and suits of armour and old paintings and antique torn furniture. All I hear is impeccable R&B pop that's managed to span the 90s to the noughties. It looks structurally sound, apart from sort of a, a thin crack running right down the building, which if I was sort of getting a chartered surveyor around, sort of a building surveyor around. I was reading this at one o'clock in the morning, and it was it was creepy as fuck, man. That the sentences create this almost like spider's web of, of creepiness around your shoulders. Greetings, friend. Come, enter. Warm yourself by the fire, for this is the Shark Live Royal Halloween Spooky Special! <laughs> I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Oh sorry, should I do that in a spooky voice? I feel like you <laughs> stayed in Peter Cushing mode. I'm Dave. Hello. Yes. Ah, that time of year again, Dave. It is. The Halloween spooky special. Every year we pick a spooky book or scary story, sometimes scary for not necessarily the right reasons, <laughs> and uh, and cover it in the Shark Live Royal style, where we do a little page-by-page page guide for you. Last couple of years we've done goosebumps, and uh, this year we're we're going to just, just mix it up a bit and go back to the well of Edgar Allan Poe, which we've gone to a couple of times before, mm-hmm. for the fall of the House of Usher. Yeah, yeah, it did feel like at that moment, as soon as I just said that, we should have just heard. <laughs> and my, my challenge while reading this story was, of course, that Usher, I imagine, in the late 1800s in, in America, could have sounded kind of full of portent, you know, like kind of Dracula or Frankenstein. But mm. now all I hear is <laughs> impeccable R&B pop that's managed <laughs> to span the 90s to the noughties. And I just, I, all I can see is Usher just, you know, just smooth as smooth with that little hat on. <laughs> yeah. So was that your um, your only real thought like first thoughts when you heard that this was the book we were going to do this time i was around. delighted that this was the this was the book we were going to do for precisely that reason i don't want to lowball the significance of that thought that that got me through uh got me through some of the first chapters first chapters first pages where um well poe he loves he loves a description doesn't he he's he's not shy of a long sentence saying almost nothing oh yeah <laughs> that's the real he's... horror Matt that right there that right <laughs> for all that said it's not a long story we're only no. looking at a few pages here so yeah. um, it's going to be a bit of a rattle through it's not the sort of special extended edition that some of the R.L. Stein Goosebumps books have been it's it's um, not the mist it's certainly not the mist which was which kind of took the piss as a short story I, I, don't, know, I don't know where Stephen King gets off <laughs> calling it, that a short story we did it story. in a one shot that was like a super size one shot it took about four hours yeah yeah right okay so um, have you have you come across The Fall of the House of Usher by Grell and Poe before reading this today so this is a great example of the sort of thing that seems to happen quite a lot on Shark Liver Oil, where I talk a big game about literature, but whenever we come across anything, even in remotely in the area of a classic, 80% of the time I'm like, nope, never touched it, haven't a clue. 
<laughs> and that is definitely the case with the works of Edgar Allan Poe. My entire engagement with Edgar Allan Poe is we did the uh, Mask of the Red Death, which was pretty mm. good, and um, Hop Frog, which was tremendously weird. And <laughs> then, um, and before that, it was the Simpsons version of the uh, the poem, the uh, uh, the Raven, Nevermore. Yeah, that was it. That's my entire engagement with this giant of North American letters. So <laughs> every time we come to it, I'm ready. Great, great. Well, um, well, yeah. I mean, this this one is again one of his more famous ones. Um, Hot Frog was a real sort of one out of left field. It's not, I don't think any very many people have ever heard of that. Whereas for mm. the Fall of the House of Usher, if you're sort of familiar with Edgar Allan Poe, it's one of his more famous stories. Um, it starts with a quote in French it's kind of threw me yeah well it was it's the sort of thing that I get the feeling writers back then did in order to show look I'm doing horror but classy yeah mm. yeah little frilly frilly kind of uh, cravat going on here I got I got style I got a I got an intellectual side now you, you've got some um you got better. <laughs> By the way, if you hear some grunting in the background, it isn't sort of the spirits trying to communicate. It's it's my <laughs> newborn baby who's uh, who's sitting close by doing a bit of work experience, um, watching us do this. <laughs> so if you hear some otherworldly grunts, Gary Lineker has that... a podcast map where his son sits and he's the producer and he's in the background and you'll occasionally hear him talk. Yeah, and I love the idea of your child being present in yeah. order to uh, in order to record for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well okay yeah producer ted is just over there producer um, ted all of this all of this things. this jiggery pokery on my part is kind of an excuse for me to scroll desperately back through the story in order to find the french and see if i can do a, like a ridiculous i'm sorry i haven't a clue translation of the thing do you want me to read it out well i was going to say uh, can you read it out because uh, as we have discovered in the past you're you're a little bit more um Let's say a little better at reading French than I am. So yeah, you go. <laughs> I'm flattered by that, but everybody who listens to us who actually speaks French will now find this like a, that a preposterous airs me to put on. Here we go. Son cœur est une lue suspendue sitôt qu'on le touche il raison. Now my problem there is that I don't know the meaning of the word lue, L-U-T-H. I think bell. In well, which case, it would mean his his heart is a suspended bell. Whenever you touch it, it sounds. But good effort. Um, I, well, well, using my good friend Google you've Translate. You've googled it, haven't you, you bastard? <laughs> this I'm is so what proud Google. Google's Translate is is by no means infallible, so this might not be <laughs> quite right. But according to Google Translate, this is his heart is a suspended lute. Lute. Um, as, yeah. Do like you know a, what? I'm completely comfortable with not knowing the French for the word loot. That is yeah. all right. <laughs> His heart is a suspended loot. As soon as it is touched, he resonates. Yeah. Yeah, I okay. Like all right, it. right. So, well, You're I mean, close, so so first of all, I continue, you know, m- the great white whale of my multilingual life, such as I laughingly call it, um, is is to be better at anything than Google Translate. And clearly I'm not there yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So thanks for that. That's my mm. Halloween horror story. But um, uh, <laughs> I quite like that this starts with, and this comes up quite soon in the story as well, is is that Usher in this story is actually a musician. 
Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> I, that, that was tremendous. And, you know, like, this story actually it does succeed in kind of casting quite a spooky little spell through its convoluted, like, verbiage. But it took me an extra couple of pages to get into the vibe because mm. I was just sitting there imagining, like, that it's like this is this epic crib with an incredible sound system and, like, <laughs> an, like a like a recording studio in the basement and stuff yeah so 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 when when poe describes this this sort of rundown haunted house sort of mansion you were sort mm. of imagining mtv cribs basically yeah no i mean absolutely <laughs> or rather this is really obscure <clears throat> grand theft auto san andreas there is a there's a character in that who's basically supposed to be dr dre and um, who is uh, who has this like unbelievable mansion in in what passes for the Hollywood Hills in that game, hmm. and is that's what I'm imagining. It's incredible, <laughs> right? Well, um, yeah, this 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 quote is quite. A good, I, I thought it was a quite a nice way to, to kick things off. It's by um, uh, someone called is it De Beranger, mm-hmm. um, who it, again, my good friend. Um, Sitting next to Google Translate, Mister Wikipedia tells me that um, he was an 18th century French poet, um, supported oh. by Napoleon's brother, um, and it was, it's actually <laughs> Napoleon's really, it's, brother who took a path into the arts. Rather, than <laughs> brilliant. Is yeah. um, actually quite. It's actually really f- quite famous in in France at this time. Um, I think he was sent to prison for being an, uh, an anti-monarchist as well when the oh. monarchy was brought back after the revolution. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah sort of a very buried right down, sort of deep in the depths of sort of French history there. Oh, that's pretty cool. That And that obviously this this sort of, this once again displays the riches of a, a you know, a broad education of the sort that neither of us have received. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> it just sails completely over our heads and I'm going, is it a bell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so we, so we move, we move into. So that sort of sets sets us up. An opening phrase in French. Um, no more French. You'll be delighted to hear. Um, um, we then, we then move into the sort of start of the story. So there's this guy, the narrator, who's never named, um, mm. and he's visiting his friend Roderick Usher. I don't think that's Usher's first name. <laughs> I don't know. Where. I would be really happy if it was. <laughs> For me. <laughs> He had, a, he had an early life recording career as Little Roddy before he decided to go go adult and call himself Usher <laughs> instead. Yeah, um, it's because he's received this desperate letter from his friend. Um, he's really depressed. Um, he seems to be suffering from some kind of mental disorder. Um, mm. And he's, he's sent this letter asking for his old friend to come and visit him um, to hopefully sort of help him and make him feel better. Mm. Um, and we, we arrive with the narrator at... This um this big mansion which he describes as the melancholy house of Usher, and then it's described as this sort of. <clears throat> I mean, he does take his time here to set it up. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but um, I, that, I quite, as a one I quite liner is the best summary of what it's like to read the start of an Edgar Allan Poe short story. <laughs> he does take his time. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's sort of it gives you a good first impression of just how big a presence the building itself has, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and and this this was kind of a... This was quite interesting to me because the image of the spooky house in this Gothic style is such a cliché now that kind of all of this stuff, I'm just going, yeah, yeah, Scooby-Doo house. Yeah, Scooby-Doo. Mm. Yeah, 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 Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo. Scooby, 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 y
and um like i i feel quite bad because is this do you think this is actually the origin of the sort of haunted house trope or is it it's the very least it's like an early version of it right yeah, it's probably an early version because I thought this. I was I was the same thing here. I was thinking, oh, is this sort of the original of so what all these sort of these modern haunted houses are based on? Because it is the most classic haunted house. It's sort of it's all um, sort of sense of crumbling stone and decay. Once he gets yeah. inside, it's just sort of dark and uh, these sort of dark wood and suits of armor and old paintings and antique yeah. torn furniture and like books strewn yeah. everywhere you know it's it is just what it's you imagine when you think a classic haunted house yeah um and it's probably it's one of the early versions of it um i, I think he probably I, I doubt he's the first he's the first writer to, to sort of pick this as a spooky setting but um it's certainly because it's such a famous book Mm-hmm. I, I've no doubt that it it has been the inspiration for a lot of the stuff we've seen since. Um, the exterior of it, he talks about how it's sort of crum. It, it looks like the building's made of crumbling stone, but um, but it actually looks structurally. <laughs> it looks structurally yeah. sound, apart from sort of a a thin crack running right down the building, which if I was sort of getting a chartered surveyor, sort of a building surveyor, <laughs> I'd be concerned Imagine about. him standing in front going, look, it's 99% fine. Look at the width of that crack is nothing. nothing it's fine. <laughs> or even better, which is what the narrator I think actually says at one point, is that he thinks that there's this like thin layer of fungus holding it together. Yeah. Which, which dumps us brilliantly right out of Scooby-Doo and directly into the Super Mario Brothers movie where mushrooms somehow hold <laughs> everything together and make everything work <laughs> yeah yeah i think if i was purchasing this house uh, my mortgage lender would be saying you're gonna have to get subsidence insurance <laughs> it's right next to a lake yeah. and it's got I, a massive crack running through it is might this be the origin of roderick usher's particular challenge here is that he just really wants to leave this bloody house and he can't sell it for the life he of it. Like, he keeps it. showing people around and they're like look I'm sorry, but it's just, it's first of all, it's creepy as fuck. But secondly, there's a crack from top to bottom. This is a bisected <laughs> dwelling. No, I'm not buying this. Yeah. Uh, we find out a bit about the um, Usher family history, um, <laughs> which is creative, but a bit, a bit nuts. It's sort of a bit crazy, crazy creative. I would place them as the uh, house of Usher in um, Edgar Allan Poe's universe. Yeah. Um, and on, in, on that, sorry, sorry, you yeah. mentioned the universe. Where is this taking place? Because Edgar Allan Poe was from Massachusetts, wasn't he? Yeah, I just thought so, some sort of vague New Englandy area. Right, but as we all discover, this house has got a dungeon in it. So, oh yeah, I have, and and like he's doing the full-on kind of from time immemorial. But I mean, let's be real. This is Edgar Allan Poe story. Everybody in this story is white. So you know, at the, at the late eighteen hundreds, the maximum amount of time their families will have been there is two hundred and fifty years. And he's yeah. given it this kind of like there was this ancient dungeon where generations immemorial, generations immemorial. Asterisk footnote: a maximum of six. You know, <laughs> is how I maybe felt that, about I mean, this. Yeah, maybe that's what passes for generations of memorial at this time in America. Yeah, I just it it always sort of chimes against me a little bit that I'm like, where is this? Particularly because he calls the dungeon a donjon when they come yeah. to it. But yeah, do you think it, do you think he should have had a he should have had sort of a, a an English 
traveler with him who could have sort of looked at it and gone oh yeah new build yeah nice. yeah no yeah, that's, like that's exactly isn't it and god wouldn't i just have been that person if i'd have been mates <laughs> with the narrator i would have been turning and going oh it's a nice little place you got here it's quite new isn't it yeah it's quite <laughs> nothing like we've got back in the old country of course which is inherently <laughs> superior for reasons i can't entirely articulate but uh, no i love what you've done with the place it's, it's falling down obviously which is a bit of a shame because uh, could could have been could have been quite well established if you'd looked after it. But no, no, never mind. Right, and the thing that actually gets me here is why are there suits of armor? Where, why not? From where are the suits? Of, uh, did the House of Usher bring all of their suits of armor from whichever European country they originated in, like expecting that it was still going to be medieval warfare? <laughs> And the, the origin of the sadness in this household is that they they spent all this money getting these really heavy things over, which are totally useless. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably be like, yeah, I'll, we want to give it a bit of authenticity. Ship over that, ship over the armor, having a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, maybe he did sort of whichever the the Usher family when they moved over, when they came over on the Mayflower, they brought a couple of suits of armor with them as well. Um, <laughs> Let, you know, keep keep some some memories of the old country. Have you ever seen the reconstruction of the Mayflower though? Because it wasn't a large boat; it was very very small. I love the idea of these Puritans climbing on this boat, and then there's like somebody's posh cousin at the back going, "Listen, I'm sorry, I have to bring the bloody armor. I no, I'm it must come. Otherwise, how will everybody know that uh, 500 years ago, my ancestor was once killed in a ditch later than a number of other people under his command? Come on." I'm bringing all of this, and they're like, well, we're going to have to get rid of some of the food for it. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> yeah. History is worth it. There's a family on the docks, and he's like, my, my mother wants to come. Is there any room? No, no room at all. What about that suit of armor? <laughs> just, he's paying just extra. Leans a bit to the side and, and <laughs> gestures towards the, could you at least bring five rather than six of them? This feels excessive. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I did, I did get a sense from this uh, the opening sort of, uh, descriptions of the house about this sense of uh, melancholy around it and sort of Doom. the atmosphere of decay and yeah. um, the sort of dull sort of vapor that seems to sort of hang over the place along with yeah. as you say the the sort of the the decaying that sort of that fungus and all that kind of stuff about as well it just felt like oh yeah this place is is practically falling down yeah yeah, so, I mean, and like, and hats off, you've got to say to Poe. Like I say, like I can't think of anybody else that I read because I don't read like Victorian Gothic literature very much. Um, but uh, I I can't think of anybody else that I know who would like be so successful in using far too many words to nonetheless create a mm. an atmosphere. Like it really does. Feel, like I was reading this at one o'clock in the morning because uh, I too have a very young child, and so one o'clock in the morning is like midday for me. <laughs> and um, uh, and it was it was creepy as fuck, man. Like it was really. And it wasn't because it was just using the absolute minimum of words, which is what I usually go for. It was this the fact that the sentences go on for weeks. And they all just sort of create this almost like spider's web of, of creepiness around your shoulders. Um, mm. And it was, yeah, it was it was very, very effective. It turns out this Poe kid can write. Who knew? <laughs> um, now as, as the narrator arrives, um, Roderick greets him. He's delighted to see him. Um, there's a real sort of warmth in his greeting. But he also, his appearance is, is awful. He's got this grey pallor. 
Um, it's, I, I quite like the description of his hair, which, uh, his silken hair, which sort of was now floating around his face. So it was like yeah. such a such a mess. You, I really sort of saw that. Um, yeah. He, he sort of alternates between speaking loudly and very quietly. Um, he's he's become very reclusive. He, he he's become to sort of hate, not not like being in the light and the the smell of flowers and things like that. This just yeah. again just layers on the sort of the sense of something very wrong here. Yeah. Yeah. Or a really bad hangover. Yeah, well, it does. Just, yeah, I'm just going to put that out there. He's just—he went on a bender 15 years ago, and he's just like, <laughs> Roderick, drink some water. No, I don't want to. Oh, I feel awful. And go back to bed. <laughs> don't bring me any flowers. <laughs> this and, thing, this 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 theme that we we often we often hit on this, where like someone is suffering from some kind of malady, and we do the oh why did I drink last night routine. <laughs> I was watching Lord of the Rings yesterday. And you know the yeah. bit where Frodo gets pierced by the dagger, and then oh, they're, yeah. they're rushing him back to the sort of to the elves, and he's yeah. like, he's gone, he's like, he's, he's on the back of the horse. That <laughs> again, it's ruining loads of things for me this now. Because when I saw that, I just thought, oh, he's going, oh, why did I drink? <laughs> I feel so bad. <laughs> and I mean, of course, yes, this is route one to us belittling the emotional experience of characters in this. But in this, it felt kind of. Actually, by the end of the story, I, I didn't feel any sadness about about this sort of flippant tone that I can't help but adopt. Right now, mm. this is interesting. This this establishes mystery about why is he like this? You know, how could it possibly be as bad as it is? You know, what's gone wrong? Um, later in the story, other things of other whys present themselves, which mm. don't get answered, and that for, that for me sort of now undermines this in retrospect. Mm. But um. But again, it's great. It's great. Um, it's great atmosphere. I particularly like actually the fact that one of the ways he describes this guy's kind of broken down appearance is that he doesn't have much of a chin, and to Poe <laughs> that indicates like a failure of moral stature. Yeah. <laughs> like he hasn't got. He, he lacked his lack of Weak prominence chin. in his chin bespoke a failure of moral presence. <laughs> was, like, glorious, absolutely magnificent. <laughs> Um, so we find out a bit more about what's going on here. Um, this extra layer of of horror comes on where it turns out he lives in this mansion with his sister. They're the two last surviving members of this house and she's been dying for some time. She's got some kind of disease that no one can quite work out what it is. Um, and she's now sort of seems to be in the late stages of this. The uh, She's called Lady Madeline and she actually walks past one of the doors yeah. while while these two are talking and the thing that makes her particularly creepy mm. is she never she never acknowledges uh the narrator's presence or even her brother's presence she just walks past the door and it turns out she's walking to bed for the last time and this creates again that yeah. sense of of foreboding i think the thing that the thing that as, as we've said already the thing that works really well about this story it's one of the best examples i know of just those layer upon layer of of foreboding in horror yeah. to to make you feel uncomfortable as you're reading it, and I felt the yeah. exact same thing as you when I I was reading this on in sort of an autumnal afternoon. It felt very yeah. creepy. Yeah, yeah, and it really it kind of really does succeed in that um, with 
yeah, this sort of thing that she's like shuffling past at the end of the corridor, kind of not acknowledging that anybody exists. Yeah. And this is the bit where it feels most, it felt most compelling, like most like realistic, if that's a weird word to use about gothic horror. But mm. um, with uh, like, he's in this house, it's an awful house, it's falling apart, literally, and his sister is dying, and he sends a letter to his friend. Um, mm. Like, all of that adds up to something that really makes sense um and uh, i think that's the high point of cohesiveness in this mm. this particular narrative yeah um so if you he stays with uh, with roddick for, for a few days um they trying to sort of cheer cheer the guy up they read together he paints a bit he does these amazing paintings apparently some yeah. pretty weird one of this sort of vault Low yeah. below the earth with a no light source, but there's there's light shining through it. Yeah. Um and he, and as you say, he's into musician is into music as well. He does these sort of virtuoso guitar performances. <laughs> which I, I just imagine like this long, like noodling guitar solos. <laughs> <laughs> that is the least Usher thing imaginable, actually, isn't it? Like he's now right at the other end of the like self indulgent kind of willowy late period Dave Gilmore kind of thing um like which which was just one I just imagined him kind of being the sort of guy who at a party when everybody's not quite drunk enough decides that everybody needs to hear his Wonderwall you know yeah he's the guy with the acoustic guitar yeah comes out with it yeah here's one there's always one yeah um yeah yeah, no exactly and of course I've never been that guy of course under no circumstances um but um uh yeah it was it was i found it quite funny that it was like these two guys are just in the house and neither of them works obviously because you know aristocracy suits of armor and um uh they're just so desperately in need of meaningful distractions and Mm. and our narrator's there for a while and he never says look mate i'm sorry but this is depressing as shit could we go to the pub like (laughs) yeah they never leave do they yeah yeah that's what they what they need, Matt, if they're never going to leave, they need an Xbox. That's <laughs> that's that's what's needed here. They need a little bit of Forza. What they need is flipping Rocket League. Yeah, well, I suppose curtains. this is what passes for escapism. Otherwise, um, in the in, in this in this time period, the one of the songs that he sings is this thing about a, a palace. Um, what's it called? Is it is it called? I don't know if I can bring it up. Yeah, uh, the the haunted palace, and it starts off. It's this beautiful sort of castle in the middle of nowhere or palace uh, that's that's described as being all wonderful and light and all this. And then by the end of it, it's all sort of come down and dark and crappy and everything. But I like the um, I like the final line where the, uh, the 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 final few lines of it where where things have gone. So the darkness has taken over the the palace. It mm. says that through the pale door, a hideous throng rush out forever and laugh but smile no more. And this idea of people who laugh but never smile is a is is very affecting, isn't it? Because yeah, it, it yeah. turns laughter into something a lot more dark and sinister. Yeah, absolutely, and and it is it it is very effective. Although it has this thing, and this is not unusual to to. Edgar Allan Poe at all but um the um it has this thing where like there's two verses of everything was great and then at the start of the third verse everything's gone to shit 
and there's never a why in it at all. Yeah, yeah. And, like, part of that is the creepiness of it, of just, like, and then it all went to shit, and now I'm going to tell you how shit it was, and that's going to, that, that's going to like, creep you out by sort of brute force alone. Um, but it is, I just find it really weird, because I'm like, all right, why was that then? Uh, mm. <laughs> why, why did this happen? Yeah. A feeling which yeah. I had later in this story. <laughs> the crucial information. So, But why? Don't worry about it. There's just... The darkness took over. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It was it was creepy as fuck. All right, just go with it. <laughs> I mean, this this uh, this sort of song leads into a discussion about the house and about it's a bit a little bit sort of semi philosophical about what things are sentient and what things aren't. And he says, you know, mm. he feels the house has a sort of sentience of its own, brought through yeah. the sort of the organic material around it. So the you know, the fungi and the plants and the decaying trees around it have created this this sort of presence around the house. Yeah. Um, it sounds a bit Last of Us that because they're the sort of like <laughs> yeah, bad mushrooms right. turning stuff into bad stuff. But yeah, 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 um, very to much. To cheer himself, cheer himself up, he reads this book. Um, it's a gothic quattro um, called Vigiali Moratorum. I mean, he's not helping himself in his choice of entertainment, is he? Really, he's trying to cheer himself up. <laughs> I noticed but, that. Yeah. I, I, my, my Latin is even worse than my French, and my French, as we've seen, is pretty bad. But I'm, I'm sure at least one of those words has to do with death. Like, yeah. j- find yourself a PG Woodhouse, mate. You know what I mean? Just get something light in there. <laughs> he needs a bit of goosebumps in his life. That's, That's what, what he needs. needs. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. yeah, if you're going to be gothic, be gothic with a thick layer of what the hell just happened on top. That's what you need. <laughs> Now th- this is quite interesting. Now the Lady Madeline dies, mm. and he he says to the narrator, "Right, I want to inter her in the building. I want to basically keep her in the building for two weeks, a body." And and I was thinking, what? But this is one of the occasions where actually you do get a why, which I thought, oh, actually that does kind of make sense. He says the um, he doesn't want to bury her straight away. Because if she's basically if she's too fresh, um, medical people will go and like Frankenstein style dig her up and do yeah. some experiments on her to yeah. find out what's happened. And that I thought, was actually you know a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 kind of that kind of tracked for me. I was like, because as soon as I read, I'm going to keep her in the house for two weeks. I thought, come on, why would you? <laughs> why would anyone do that? But um, I thought that that kind of made sense to me. But it's, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's creepy. It passes the creepy test as well. But um, yeah, that's going to be the new plan. Yeah, very well, and that that actually did happen as well. I was mm. like, I kind of I read that was one of the things where I I sort of skipped past it without thinking about it. But you're right. I'm remembering now that I think it oh, it was like the 1700s in in the UK. Um, like to be sentenced to death wasn't the most serious way you could be punished. You mm. could be sentenced to death and have your body given to medical science. And it was this idea that your your constituent pieces were going to be broken up. And so um, in, in their interpretation of the book of Revelation in the Bible, at the last day, the idea was that you would only get resurrected if you had all your component pieces close at hand. Uh, yeah so actually that does sort of make sense and you know medical guys would run around and because they needed bodies to experiment on so they take her body down to this vault um, it's long and dark sort of cellar area there's a heavy door um, in front of it apparently it used to be an old sort of gunpowder store 
Um, yeah. So they, it's, it's got a bit of sort of copper around it as well. And, and they, they scrape it. The, the door scrapes as they open it. Stick the coffin in there. It's an open coffin. So you can see a face, but you can't see the rest. Um, and it turns out that this, this pair were actually twins. And they've got this connection, <laughs> which Roderick talks mm. about now as well. Yeah. Um, also, this will become important later. Her cheeks have a bit of a rosy pallor from the disease. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Oh, really? Might that become pertinent later? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, right. This dungeon, which it, the donjon, as he calls it, I'm going to call every dungeons from now on are going to be donjons because I find <laughs> that funny. Um, um, so it's supposed to have been a gunpowder storeroom, right? Hmm. So they've they coated the inside of it with copper. Mm. And then put a, a really heavy stone door that sort of scrapes against the copper in order to get in, right? Mm. Or to put it another way, this place where they're going to store explosives, they, they sheathed in a material that conducts electric sparks and then placed at the front door something that was likely to create, by friction, heat. Mm. <laughs> I I think I might have worked out why the House of Usher only has one child at a time and, and may not survive for very much longer <laughs> if, if generations ago they put all this money into making a more flammable storage environment for their gunpowder. Yeah. You also, think source- how much gunpowder you do you need? Bloody hell, America. Get it together. Oh, they love a bit of gunpowder. They love a bit guns. of gunpowder, though, Come isn't on. it? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm surprised he's not got two dungeons down there. That's exactly right. I've got my dungeon and my sister's dungeon, and we both need our own weapons stockpile. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they keep it down there. Um, that's that. And uh, the, over the next few days, um, sort of they go into the days of mourning, and Roderick worsens. No more um, guitar solos anymore. No more painting. He sort of just wanders around the house. Um, yeah sort of talking to himself. And we get to sort of seven or eight days on since the entombment. And it's and it's a stormy night. Again, I, I, I was just <laughs> I was just grinning reading this. I was just loving it. As a as sort of a scary story aficionado, this was just yeah. sort of red meat for me. It's like it's a stormy <laughs> night. The narrator can't It was sleep. A, dark and, a dark and stormy night. That's what happened. Oh, I loved it. So um, the... The narrator's, in a similar way to Roderick, is mentally is sort of very under a lot of strain since the since the death of this this woman. He feels the house is very creepy, and he can't sleep. So he gets up and sort of wanders, sort of paces his room, sort of in a vague attempt to calm himself down. He hears footsteps on the stairs, and straight away I was like, "Oh, here we go." There's, there's a zombie or something. I was going to say a... that there was a lot of this that really skipped along the edge of zombie fiction, wasn't it? I was just waiting for a hand to thrust through the planks of the door. Yeah, but I love this creep up the stairs and then tap at the door, and it's Roderick. And yeah. again, it's like, it's just building again really nice of this tension. Yeah. yeah. And Roderick comes in looking even more unhinged than he's done before, mm-hmm. and he just <laughs> says, <laughs> some, with a wild some... look in his eye, he says. I've got this great idea for a song called Yeah. Listen to this riff. <laughs> it's called the U-turn. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he said, so he, so the storm's battering against these shutters, um, but it's being contained. And Roderick says, um, you haven't seen it, have you? Oh, you shall. And he walks up to the shutters and just opens them up so you can 
the full force of the storm comes in, like whipping around these heavy curtains. Yeah. You can see outside that, that the trees are swaying in it. And there's this strange sort of otherworldly mist glowing on the lake as well. Mm. Oh, I Come on. Yeah. This is great. I'm ro- I'm, I, was, <laughs> I was locked in and rolling along now on the roller coaster. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The <laughs> so narrator shuts the windows. Is like, come on, sits Roderick down. <laughs> the, the, the narrator revealing himself to be Mancunian just goes, "Come on now, come on, no, sort it out." Yeah, he, uh, he sits Roderick down and tries to tries to sort of calm him. He says, oh, "Let's just read together and get through basically past the night, and things will feel better in the morning." One of those that that kind of yeah, I. I I sort of I got this as well the idea that you know just just wait for the morning and yeah. things will feel better and that's a almost a bit of a horror trope now as well isn't it there's so many stories about um where people are just desperately waiting for the next day they just need to survive yeah. long enough and here yeah. it's not quite that but it's you know just if we can get through the next few hours when things are feeling horrible then it'll be daylight again and we can just we can plan from there yeah, and that I think it's a testament to how well Edgar Allan Poe writes that I was kind of invested in that, despite the fact that there's nothing in this narrative so far that suggests that the next day will be any better. Mm. Like there's been this this apparently endless sequence of really kind of dull, languorous, creepy-fying days mm. with occasional guitar solos, <laughs> and uh, and that's just going to continue. But something about we're going to get through to the morning and it's going to be fine still has that kind of force when it's Poe writing it. Yeah, I, I think that speaks, that's very sort of believable in a human sense because that is that is what you often have to do if there's, if there's something massive, there's like some massive task or some terrible thing that's going on, you often boil it down to, well, let's just take it one step at a time. Let's get through to the morning and then, you know, we'll worry about the next step after that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they to, to pass the time they read this tale called the Mad Trist of Sir Lancelot. Um, and <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> once again, does he actually mean the Mad Trist of Sir Lancelot? Trist meaning sort of like a like kind of subterfuge to meet for illicit sex. Is that what <laughs> is is this? I've no idea. Did this yeah. just go kind of sort of carry on horror? Carry- <laughs> Carry on, Poe. Is that what <laughs> the mad tryst? <laughs> um, this book, this story, um, is a very simple one, but also it's just basically used to um, sort of flick back and forth between reality and, fi- and sort of fiction within the fiction and the fiction, if you like. So, what's going on in the house and what the uh, what the two men are reading. So. There's this knight who's trying to get his way into this house. Um, he forces his way through the door. Um, he finds this dragon, kills the dragon, and takes this shield. That's basically all that happens in the story. But at each, <laughs> <laughs> but at each state, <laughs> what? Sorry, there's just like I was. So by this point in the story, I was. Actually, that's not true. By the end of the story, I was teetering on the edge of being able to say this, this, this. That's what happens in the story, and it's just, <laughs> there's just, I kind of like that Poe can't quite create a story within a story that is compelling. Like yeah. you read it and you're like, uh, okay, so 
mace, hammer, tryst. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's a dragon. The dragon's killed. It's, it's very quick. I mean, if George Martin had sort of pared it down like this, we wouldn't have spent the last few years going through his books. But anyway. <laughs> you know, I wasn't thinking of that as a positive, but you are right. To be fair, <laughs> if, if Game of Thrones had been the mad tryst of Sir Jamie Lannister and other characters, it would have been over in a flash. Mm. Now, so as they're reading this, like I said, as they're reading this story... Um, certain things are happening in the house that go parallel with it. So when he bashes down the door, they hear some sort of splintering wood somewhere in the house. When he um, when he kills the dragon, the dragon screams, and they they hear a sound in the house similar. Um, when he drags the shield down from the wall, they hear a scraping sound. Yeah, Scra- similar to maybe the sound of a heavy door to a dungeon <gasps> opening. I don't know. Um, all the way through this, he's trying to. The narrator's trying to stay calm for Roderick's sake. Roderick's getting more and more agitated, um, and he ends up sort of babbling and then talking very quickly, saying that this this is out of left field. That his sister's still alive, and they've accidentally buried her alive, and <laughs> she's she's going to be pissed basically, and she's coming yeah. for him. <laughs> like, okay, so how how do you know, and why, if you knew, did you bury her alive? And, yeah, I mean, that's enough. Why did you bury her alive? Why? Why was this neat? I mean, I, admittedly, you know, creepy corridor walking and not saying hello to your mates, it's a bit rude, but I'm not sure it quite necessitates entombment whilst living. <laughs> yeah, now, th- this is interesting. I took this as... You got to take a couple of leaps yourself here because it doesn't really—it's not really explained in the, in the story. But I took it to be, he's buried her because he—he thought she was dead, and then because they've got this weird kind of connection, he senses that maybe she's not, um, but he's too frightened to find out for sure, and the fact that it's been like, what over a week, week and a half, means there's something unnatural about this as well it's not like she's i took it as she's not really alive but she's reanimated but that might be just my years of reading zombie fiction imprinting itself on this tale rather than the tale doing it for itself yeah i felt like that as well i was like fine there's plenty of stories where you know creepy creepy push the stone aside you know come back out of the grave you know being buried alive all the rest of it like all of this exists but none of this is in the story like i'm basically Mm. having to reach for night of the living dead in order to make this a functioning narrative it felt like Mm. to me Mm. and this was this was the big why at the end where i was like why did you Mm. what why Mm. why did you do this um and and there's no and and it, like Poe's kind of relying on the atmosphere to make you not ask the question. And to be fair, mm. if anybody can get away with that, it's Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. But I was like, ah, hmm. there's another why coming right at the end of the story, which I do not understand for the life of me. But uh, but this was this was the big one. Yeah. So you do sort of have, yeah you do have to take a bit of a to fill in some of the gaps yourself here don't you to make it work yeah. but you're right he's, he's trying to he's, he's trying to pull a bit of a fast one and say oh the ten he's hoping the tension is enough for you just to roll with it um the 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 line just just as it reaches its crescendo i really liked where roderick shouts 
madman, I now tell you that she stands without the door. And then yeah, the door really bursts is. open and Madeline's there covered in blood and she falls on Roderick and kills him and herself dies in the process. Yeah. I mean, that's a good crescendo. That is that is a climax, is what that is. Hmm. Um, uh, and it's great, although... And he's kind of got to the point where I believe that being fallen upon by a apparently quite waif-like human could kill Roderick just from sheer force of shock. Like mm. I'm the you know, the vibe has managed to get me that far. And you're right, Madman, I tell you she stands without the door, that's a pretty good line. Like mm. and the and the lightning crashes and the But why? And why did she lie there for eight days before deciding to go for a walk? And, and what? And why did you put her there in the first place? And what was wrong? And wh- why, Ro- Roderick? Roderick? Why? <laughs> I wonder if Edgar Allan Poe was sitting with us, if he would just look at us and just say, "Because it's awesome." Because <laughs> <laughs> it's really creepy. All right. <laughs> Yeah, which you can't argue to be that. fair, yeah, is um, yeah, isn't isn't really the best answer. But in this in this sense, in in this story, I would uh, I would let him get away with it. Um, yeah. The narrator thinks, fuck this, he runs <laughs> like a bastard. <laughs> out of that house. Uh, the, the the realization we've been waiting for him to get to this entire story, which is just get out, just <laughs> just get out. This isn't working out. Yeah, so he runs for his life. He he and he's he's out the door. He's 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 running away from the house, and suddenly the, the the night becomes brighter around him, and he looks back, and it's because the moon is now shining through the now really wide crack in the house, as the house literally tears apart and crashes to the ground, and then is filled over by the lake. And nothing remains. And the the interesting thing here is how it ends. That happens, and then story over. There's no postscripts. Yeah. There's no final Boom. thought from the narrator. It's just out. It's like it's just cut to black, which I thought was a great way to end it, because there was no um, because it's. I think the thing that I liked about this is it's a short. It's a short, scary story yes. that feels like it's been told to you by someone just sitting next to an open fire and yeah. there's no attempt to make it anything more than it is it's just here's a scary story and then yeah. bang you're out and yeah, i it. really i really liked that yeah it, it functions really well as a campfire story where like the atmosphere is doing the work for you hmm. to that extent you know um you know and, and kind of is really creepy and don't think about it too much and for that it's great <laughs> and for that the idea of the house falling apart and falling into the into the pond makes sense, I suppose. <laughs> but I just sort of love yeah. love this idea that this house could stand, you know, full of armor and you know questionable gunpowder storage and and all the rest of it, and you know be the very image of ancientness. And the moment a zombie walks up the stairs and falls flat on her face, the whole thing just goes, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" and falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely crumbles down and of course that's what has to happen like that's mm. that's how you that's how you reach a sense of sort of crescendo 
the pathetic fallacy, the house falling apart, as well as the family falling apart and the fall of the House mm. of Usher. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right. Um, but this was the second why for me of like, would it really, really into the lake and mm. the lake rises at the same time and the house is just isn't there anymore? Was it made of <laughs> yeah. papier-mâché? Did it just dissolve? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. See, the thing is, by this stage for me, all sense of scepticism was firmly out the window. And I was like, yes, yes, fine. House crew, yeah, okay. Late going over, yeah, up for that. Yeah, yeah brilliant, oh, can do. <laughs> <laughs> I've, there are, it's funny because there are other books and stories we've read. <clears throat> Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, a good example. <laughs> where... Where I would have been prepared to let let him get away with nothing, anything that doesn't feel completely realistic, <laughs> I just call out and say it's utter bollocks. And, and let's let let's be real, that was enormous fun. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, with with this, I was just like, yeah, tell me whatever you want. I'm 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 in. I'm I'm all in, and um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, it, it is. It's one of those. It's one of those things, like you say, because it's a campfire tale. It's a yeah. great, it's a great sort of one time. Oh, it, it's that, you can read it again and again. But it's a great yeah. sort of journey through an exciting yeah. story. But yeah. if you scrutinise the whys and the I know and the what knows, then then you're going to run into trouble because it doesn't yeah. hold up. No, you're right. And of course, there's absolutely no justification for this nonsense on my part. I am being flippant for the sake of flippant. And fundamentally, I do think the atmosphere carries the whole thing. Um, it's just by the time I got to the end. I mean, I think it's also <laughs> clear that unlike you, I'm not an aficionado of horror fiction. It's not my yeah. jam. And so that means that I don't like feeling it work, which means that I will go into like hyper analytical mode and be like, I notice you used an adjective there in quite the wrong way. <laughs> um, and just as like a kind of, you know, uh, bulwark of, of rationalism against the kind of flood of creepy feeling. Um, and I think that's definitely what I'm doing here. Although I do stand by the fact that I'm like, why did you bury it? And why did the house fall apart? And why, 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 why? Still, though, reading it at one in the morning, I was creeped out, and it did its job, and it worked. And so, so fair. as I say, turns out we've discovered this Poe kid can write. So Now, in terms of the inspiration for it, here's an interesting... My friend, my good friend, Mr. Wikipedia, who's still sitting with us, um, says that there was actually a Hezekiah Usher house near Boston in the Usher estate which was pulled down in the 19th century and well when the house was torn down two bodies were found in a cavity in the cellar Um, sources indicate sources indicate that a a sailor (laughs) and the young wife of the older owner were caught um, going at it and then were were sort of we're sort of buried there. So that's that's Lady the sort Usher's of possible lover. inspiration for it. Yeah. Wow. How about that? Well, I mean Yeah, okay, can do. Like that happens. The uh the being buried alive for no apparent reason thing, that was an interesting uh, innovation to to introduce. So yeah, that's where he may have drawn his inspiration from. Mm. Uh inspiration sort of in terms of how the fall for the fall of the House of Usher's influenced other um, sort of other fiction since. Uh, 
there isn't a great deal of remakes of it, probably because it's such a simple story, as we said. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although that didn't stop The Mask of the Red Death being made numerous times into films. That is very true, although they did have to basically, like, they had to flesh it out into their chosen genre. So they, they do, like, one that was just kind of like, there was a lot of music, and another one that was, there was just a lot of shagging. Yeah. Like, they've had to work really hard to turn <laughs> it into 90 minutes worth of material. Yeah. Um, so n- not a lot in terms of films. There have been one or two, but nothing particularly famous. Obviously, its influence on themes of films has been pretty big. As, as we said, the the haunted house idea it, it sort of it, yeah. it, it plays a big part of of that um yeah. it's had a big role in that um yeah. musically there's a concept album by, by the alan do parsons project the alan parsons project <laughs> oh the only way that could have been a better reveal is if it had actually been usher if usher had suddenly had a gothic face <laughs> yeah, that i didn't imagine. know about yeah yeah no, um, it's, the Alan, all, all I ever think about when I hear that is Austin Powers. <laughs> the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> yeah, the album's called Tales of uh, Mystery and Imagination, but apparently the last, the last sort of six or seven tracks are the fall of the House of Usher. So. Take a, yeah, it lends itself to the three-minute pop song, doesn't it? <laughs> it's on Spotify, so um, if you fancy a quick right. listen, it's there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, other influences, modern-day influences, uh, that I've come across are limited to modern-day reviews of the story. Oh, um, yes. I have scoured the internet for the finest reviews. Also, Only ever the best. Yeah, also one or two from the Sharklets, of course. Oh, um, if you want to send your your own reviews of the books that we do into us, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com is the place to send it. Any other thoughts on the podcast, welcome as well. Um, but I've got a list of reviews here. Shall we make our way through them, Dave? Let's do it. Always a popular part of the podcast, this one. <laughs> um, so the fall of the House of Usher. I would say, actually, it's... Um, Largely very positive reviews. A lot of five okay. stars. Um, a lot of people but, who love a non sequitur. Yeah, but you, you, but you, you can you can find the one stars though. Don't worry, I've got a few Absolutely. for you. My peeps. No, that's not true. They're not my peeps. This is not a one star story. Um, so anyway, the four, the, the first one I've got is James, who gave it three stars. Middle of the road. All right. Yeah. James says, Let's "I find myself." Yeah. Well, he says, "I find myself a bit bored the first time I read it." It seemed to be only be about some guy that went to go visit an old school buddy. I get the feeling he may have only read the first paragraph the first time. <laughs> I found myself bored when I read the introductory paragraph. It contained no death whatsoever. <coughs> just read the first. Yeah, read the first few lines. This is just some guy going to see an old friend. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. Um, that was James's review. Um, no. Tom. So Tom gave it five stars. One of the creepiest, eeriest haunted house stories I've ever read. From the first few lines, a disquieting sense of dread begins to build, and it never lets up. Like H.P. Lovecraft, Poe's choice of words brilliantly teases the imagination with its dark terrors. I haven't read any H.P. Lovecraft, but um, yeah. Yeah. Strong review from Tom. Yeah, it's another one that tries to make kind of the the New England... uh, filled with eldritch horrors which mm. I, I again like my whole thing there is yes but 
none of you white people were there until five minutes ago so the hell but um (laughs) (laughs) however um yeah like i can totally the abuse of language is extraordinary and Mm -hmm. so so effective and i agree with that Um, koki gave it four stars and says this dark somber and melancholic world made my head spin solid uh the next one we have is oh we're on to the one stars the one stars are here oh. and ready to rock haters gonna hate led by liz one star to a girl and pose the fall of the house of usher the review begins blech there is no plot until the very end, and what little there is, is nonsensical. If you know your sister's still alive in a coffin, go and get her out. What's more, I just didn't care about them. I was like, oh, Lady Madeline's alive, whatever. And no chance of an edit now, because Edgar Allan Poe's dead. <laughs> I can't even send poisonous fan mail. Bastard. I mean, it's hard to argue with any of that, although I think she's blowing past the effect of the language, which I think it, that definitely gets a huzzah. A little huzzah, but a huzzah nonetheless. But she's not wrong. Nothing does happen until the very end, and then it doesn't make any sense at all. But that's the horror, right? <laughs> I like that reaction. Oh, Lady Madeline's alive. Whatever. And um, I quite like, yeah, I like that. No chance of an edit now. As if, like, if he was alive and you read this review, he'd be more than happy, I'm sure, to rewrite the book. But sadly, yep. not possible. Ken yep. gave it one star. His review short and sweet. Short and sweet. Absolutely terrible. Please don't read it. <laughs> Ken's a mad drive-by there I've got no further time to waste on this just all I can do is tell others to avoid yeah Ken wants it burned he wants it buried dead yeah buried alive um, Rin gave it one star Rin says I don't see why anybody likes Edgar Allan Poe he uses far too many synonyms it's dreary this, bleak that, depressing this, grave that, cadaverous this, and so on and so forth. Like, we get the point. I felt like a 12-year-old email, emo kid had written this work. Not. I mean, again, the read. substance of that objection is not incorrect. He, mm. loves, a, he loves a thesaurus, does Edgar Allan Poe, but mm. that is rather the point. That <laughs> is like saying, do you know what? I just found this, this, this metal music. It's a bit aggressive. I just it does it's unnecessarily aggressive. That's the genre. <laughs> why, why would why would he not use? He's writing gothic horror fiction in the Victorian era. He's supposed to sound like he's regurgitating the entire dictionary. Um, Sarah gave it four stars, and she says, "Oh come on, how is this not fun? Read on a dark night, one when the lights are out, because there's a furious storm beating on your rooftop, and it will make you shudder indeed." Is it possible that Sarah is just a sock puppet account for you? Is this just you, you sort of sneaking <laughs> yeah. in your own? Oh, if it was me, I would have said, I would have further recommendations. This is how I read it. It wasn't at night, yeah. but I had um, a bot, a bottle of uh, toffee apple flavour Guestdale ci- uh, Halloween cider on the that go. That is the spookiest cider. It's the, the, the spookiest cider. Um, I had a steak pie on the go. Um, nice. And I had the book open in front of uh, it wasn't quite a roaring fire, it was a warm radiator, but it was it was a stormy day outside and uh it was the middle of the afternoon. But yeah, I completely nice. agree with Sarah. Yeah. 
um, you will be in no way surprised to hear. Paul <laughs> gave it five stars. Impressive language, fantastic plots. This short tale of 31 pages is guaranteed to give you the shudders. An absolute favourite, five shivering stars. <laughs> oh, five spooky stars. <laughs> Five fiendish stars. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I can't argue with either of those last two, but I'm not sure. I feel like it's like a three and a half. Pushing pushing four. Um But yeah, both of those are, are absolutely true, I think. Mm. Um I've I've got one more review. Mm. Um because I like the book, it's a five star review. Um it's from Brian. Brian says, when I read the last word, I exhaled a breath of awe and felt like a child who'd ridden his first roller coaster. Whoa, that was awesome. I begin to understand why a crazy fan of Poe sneaks into his graveyard on his birthday every year, dressed and hidden in black, and places a flower on his grave in the still oh, cold sake. night. Do you know that that does actually happen, apparently? Oh my god. Some goodness. dude dressed in black Can you imagine? leaves a red flower. Yeah. I, I just don't understand that... Oh God! Imagine being imagine being the the Poe guy in the darkness with the single red rose, mm. and somebody else being there at the same time. <laughs> like you're creeping up, filled with your own sense of aesthetic. Oh, this is brilliant! This is gothic as shit, man. I'm here, and then there's three other people there, and you're just like, I, hi, I'm here to lay a single red rose <laughs> on the grave of the horror maestro. And we're like, yeah, we are too, actually. My name's Kevin. Can we have a selfie? Like, it just doesn't. It's, it's like, it no, doesn't. it needs to be a single red rose. If you all exactly. Could you all a bunch fuck of roses. For five minutes? I'm filled with my own sense of self-importance vis-a-vis this giant of literature. So he's mine. All right, I'm doing it now. Um, it'd be brilliant, by the way, wouldn't it, if Poe had actually died in, like, mid to late June. And there was only six minutes of darkness that far north. He's, <laughs> he's like this guy waiting in the gloaming beside the graveyard going, it's not dark enough. It's not that I should have been wearing charcoal grey. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. All right, it's dark enough. Yeah. Go! I wonder what the people are going to do for us, Dave. I think they'll, they'll, they'll leave a single shark tooth. <laughs> Whatever they'll do, they'll find our graves and stand over them, making uh, belittling yet jolly uh, deconstructions (laughs) of the different uh, cultural tropes at play (laughs) in the different things, as we would want. They just lay a single Goosebumps book on (laughs) on the grave. (laughs) Affectionate mockery every year on the anniversary. Yeah. Well, that that wraps up um, the fall of the House of Usher. Like I say, um, I really enjoyed it, although I admit that there are flaws to it, which um, yes, which we've which we've talked about. Um, but I think we've we sort of we sort of hit the nail on the head with the idea of it being a a camp a campfire spooky story. That's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Ra- yeah um, rather. But you know, if you take it for that, it's great. But it's. Um, yeah. It's no, it's no more than that, but certainly no less. Yeah, I agree. More spooky stuff next time. Well, next yeah. Halloween. We'll In the meantime, yeah, next Halloween we'll do stuff between the, now and then. <laughs> yeah, there was talk of us doing a um, a Sean Hudson book this time. Oh, you know, the great white whale of our, our spooky. Yeah, I'm really glad that we've managed to put it off for another year. I can <laughs> fortify my stomach against it. <laughs> I sent, I sent Dave 
one screenshot of a page of this book. At dinner time, by the way, he sent this bloody thing. This is this will all be funny in twelve months' time. So we're really laying the seeds for it. But honestly, when we when we do Sean Hudson's assassin, it, I can't even the things I the things I do for the Sharklets. <laughs> okay, but um, before that, next time we will return with another book. And we're hoping to get 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 another book out before Christmas, aren't we? And then we'll do our yep. Christmas special again. So yep. stay subscribed. Sorry it's been a while since the last one, but uh, we shall return soon. And uh, thanks very much for listening. Absolutely. Bye bye.